let's jump in and talk about uh, what we are in a series. Let me move over the screen here so I can see both Zoom and then look at my passages here. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 20. Um, and we are in uh, what is called uh, law, the genre of law, or sometimes called law code. It is um, a genre that appears early on, as you can see, and you have it there in Exodus. Um, prior to that, there's really not much in the way of uh, that genre showing up. And um, not much of it after. Uh, you, you have some of it reflected on, certainly during the time of the prophets, they're referring back to the law. Uh, so just a few things I want to say about law, the genre of law code and, and how it functions in the uh, Hebrew scriptures. When you think of law, you probably are, have, I mean, we all have to hang something. Whenever we hear information, we have to hang it on something we know previously, right? That's how we, we build on things we already know. Um, and so you have like, you think law right away, you go to, well, without even being aware of, you know, Massachusetts and Massachusetts laws or some of them, and you know, federal laws and you think of it in those terms, like, well, there's, let's take something basic, the speed limit law, right? So you have uh, the law that's, uh, you know, might say 55 miles an hour for this highway, or it might be 35 miles an hour. And you wouldn't look at that and go, well, that depends. Um, I do, but I, you may not, and you probably shouldn't. But uh, uh, you look at that and you say, well, that's a, that's a law, and that can be enforced. It's very specific. It's not 56 miles an hour. It's not 54. It's 55. Now, certainly some nerds out there will go, yeah, but there's more measurements of time and speed. Yeah, okay, got it. But you get the point. You can't go beyond, like you look at the needle on, the, you know, on your speedometer and you know that if you're going 65 and there's an officer, he could pull you over and has a right to do so. That's the way law code functions or law functions today. Didn't quite function that way in the ancient world um, because even though there are the 10 commandments, and we're gonna look at those in a moment, then there's 613 in total. Uh, that 613 does have some specificity to it, but when you look at it even closer, you realize, boy, there's a lot of room for interpretation here, a lot. And so that's one of the things that uh, professors, Old Testament uh, scholars and professors have noted is the difference between the 613 Hebrew scripture laws and the Massachusetts or federal laws and the way they function. Two very different kind of things. Um, and there's a lot of room for interpretation in the um, Hebrew scriptures, whereas it's less so in the way we do it today. And there's a reason for that. And it's because in the ancient world, law functioned like wisdom, okay? There is a difference in genres, but law functioned like wisdom. It was intended to be seen as do you understand the wisdom of this law? And can you begin to apply it to your life? Can you begin to see how uh, this could be interpreted and needs to be interpreted? And so um, let me give you a little bit of, of the, the, the history prior to this Exodus 20 to understand how the Ten Commandments work. Uh, actually, let me just first of all start to just let's, let's just read them. And then I want you to see if you notice some things about the Ten Commandments that are bizarre to you, to our ears as 21st century Americans, okay? 
So um, it's going to be hard because many of you have grown up with this. And so, you know, the Ten Commandments is like, you know, there's nothing strange about it because I grew up hearing them. But imagine if you'd never heard of them and you hear them and then think of them as applying to your life today and see if you can see what, um, how strange they might sound to us today, which will give you an indication of uh, how we're, to, first of all, how we're to look at them. We'll, we'll first of all, look at how they developed and the reason why they were uh, given to the Israelites. And then we'll move on to why is it so strange to our ears and how we're to do the same thing that the Israelites did or that Moses did by having law, that there is room for law in our lives as well. But the spirit of it and how it functions, that's what's missing in most of our understanding of law. We assume much of the time that law is just simply, it's given to us, the Ten Commandments are given to us, that's what we must do, period. End of story. Sunday school. Remember that? I shall have no other gods before you, so don't have any idols. End of story, period. That's, that's, that's it. Don't bear false witness. Don't lie, in other words, was what we, the way we would interpret it. But that's not how it functioned in the Hebrew scriptures. And I'm going to argue that that's not how it's supposed to function today, but that there's a better way to actually apply law to our lives. It's actually for our flourishing. It's there to serve us, not us to serve the law. That's, and Jesus has very much similar things to say about that. All right, so let's look at Exodus chapter 20. And those of you by Zoom land, um, um, as usual, you probably have your, um, your devices or your actual physical Bibles in hand. We're going to look at um, Exodus chapter 20, and we're just going to read the Ten Commandments, and we'll stop there. So the first one is, uh, in, well, it starts off, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Important point. <laughs> this is not ancillary to, I'm about to tell you what you're supposed to do from here on until the 21st century and how you're supposed to live. There's a context. I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. That's why I'm telling you these things and giving you these commands. There's something about you being in Egypt and coming out of Egypt that's giving reason for why I'm about to give you these commandments. Does that make sense? That's how it works in context. That's how we're supposed to read the scriptures in context. So, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make uh, for yourself an image in the form of anything in the heaven above or the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations uh, of those who love me and keep my commands. Verse seven, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Verse eight, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. To the Lord your God, you shall not uh, do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor your foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then he rested on the seventh day. Do you understand what he's saying here is something that seems fairly clear to most of us right now as we're reading this is there's a Sabbath, right? But there's a context to this. Verse 12, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 13, you shall not murder. Well, that's, phew, now we get some clarity. That's easy, right? That's a, that's a low bar one. Most days. Uh, you shall not steal. Okay. 
shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Not entirely sure what that means. I do, but most people wouldn't and most kids wouldn't, right? If you're teaching this to kids, they'd be like, well, what does that mean? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Uh, and that pretty much wraps it up. Um, I skip adultery. Where is it? Oh, yeah. I skipped over adultery. <laughs> Jesus didn't. That's the one he actually pointed out. There was like several of them that he didn't skip. He skipped a few, but that one he didn't skip. This is not like a, what do they call it? Freudian slip? I promise. Um, all right. So these are the 10 commandments that most people are familiar with and, and understand. The context right before then is Israel in the desert. And the desert period was a rough period for Israel. Man, she couldn't do anything. She couldn't seem to do anything right. At least that's what the narrator's saying, right? The, the storyteller is like, here's Israel in the desert, complaining about no, no water, complaining about no food, complaining about this, complaining about that, rebelling against God, doing all, so all of this stuff that is happening at the time. So picture this, they're in Egypt. They have, they're enslaved. Let me ask you a question. Think of chaos and order. When they're in Egypt, is that a stage of chaos or order? No, very good. I was hoping to catch some of you by surprise there. Very well done. Order, yes, it is. It's a, it's a kind of order, isn't it? Because they know exactly what they have to do. It's very clear. Get up in the morning, go work 12 hours. You have your meals at this exact time. You go home and you repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat over and over again. That's order. Was it a pleasant order? No, but it was an order. And at some point, when things get really worse, that's when Moses shows up and says, hey, let my people go. And then the Pharaoh says, well, now I'm going to make it even more difficult for them. That's when chaos starts to be introduced into that order. Okay. So chaos starts to be introduced, meaning like disruption. You got to be kidding me. The order was bad enough but it was order. Now you just threw in this. That makes it even worse for us. We used to be supplied by the stuff that we needed to build. Now we have to go find the supplies themselves. So there's chaos that's introduced. And then what happens is they're set free and they go into the desert. Does that sound like order to you or chaos? Chaos. <laughs> that's what sometimes is called the liminal space. The threshold, liminal just means threshold. That's like, um, so in architecture, there's things called liminal uh, spaces, which are like hallways, stairways, um, waiting rooms. Um, there's all kinds of, of, of these that are sort of transitory spaces, but not the space that's the sort of like, here we are in the living room, we're in the kitchen, you know, that kind of thing, or bedroom. And so these liminal spaces then began to be developed into this idea of like what happens to us psychologically when we're between stages of chaos and order or when we're in the space of chaos rather not between them but when we're in the space of chaos what it what it feels like to us and so they're in a place of what's called liminal space and so that is when chaos really disrupts them and they don't know how to live in the place of chaos because they were used to having an order 
that told them what to do, how to function, and now they suddenly have this freedom and they have to do something with this freedom. What do I do with it? I don't know how to run my life. I don't know how to order my life. I don't know how to do this. I'm used to having things done for me. This is the reason why we see ourselves in our own lives where we will go to a certain point of freedom and then and, and do, be okay. And then we'll end up back in the same place. You could think of things like, uh, uh, like certain foods that you'll eat or you'll just get off of a certain rhythm of, of eating well and you start eating poorly. And then all of a sudden you have all kinds of issues, physical issues. You got digestive issues, you got headaches, you got all that. So then you end up going to the hospital or the doctor and they give you some medications and then you say, okay, and then you promise I'm gonna eat better. I'm gonna try to take care of myself, get the right, right amount of sleep, do all this. You do all that, you do that for a while, then you fall off the wagon and you go back to doing these things and you end up back in it, right? You can see this in everything, addiction. You can see this in just normal day-to-day -day life. We have a harder time with freedom than we do with uh, enslavement. It is much more difficult for all of us. This is, I'm not just preaching at you. I'm talking about me, okay? So like, we are all in this together, folks. It is so much harder to live with freedom and to be responsible with that than it is to live um, in enslavement, right? But the thing that God insists on is pushing us towards that, which is really frustrating. It's like, I'm going to push you towards that. So I'm going to throw chaos at you just so that you can get out of your enslaved order so that you can get to a better life, a better order, right? So now fast track it all the way to we're now in Exodus 20 and we have law code introduced. Why is law code introduced? Precisely because of this issue. Like you're having a hard time living free. So I'm going to give you rules on how to live free. <laughs> It, that's what this is about. That's what the Ten Commandments are about. It's like how to live free, how to live in a way that you don't need to be told all the time what to do and how to live. And, you know, either by other people or by your own appetites and driven by your own appetites, by your own desire for power. No, truly autonomous, truly free, free from those things. Well, how do you do that? Well, the Ten Commandments. And that's why they come in. So let's look at them in that light again. So your first commandment is, don't have any other gods before me. Like no other gods. Why? Well, once again, what would they have done? Well, the ancient world looked at gods as being territorial and as over certain things that provided for their necessities. Gods weren't just sort of like this thing, like a superstition. Like we have the, we have the luxury in the first world to have superstitions. <laughs> they didn't have that. For them, it was... Let me figure out how this works. So if, I, if we pray to the sun god, that means we're going to get more sun, which means better crops because we have to survive. Okay, done. We'll do it. It was really fascinating when I heard my, uh, an Old Testament, um, one of my professors say that. She was like, don't think for a second that these were like people that, oh, let's just worship because we need superstition. We need something. No, this was about survival. This is about existence. So for, and they were very practical about their worship. It was like, how much do I sacrifice in order to how much do I get back? Okay, that was the idea. And so if they're worshiping these, these idols, they're worshiping, worshiping them as source, okay? They're looking to them as not resource, but source. You are the source to my existence. That's why I worship you. And what God is saying is I'm the ultimate source. I have no shape, no form. I'm not the God of any territory. I'm spirit, but I am source. 
And so I want you to learn how to not live with this desperation of existence that now you have arrived at a place where you're going to have some new level of order and some new level of safety. And now can you live in a way to keep yourself free and, and keep yourself healthy? Let's see if that can happen. And so that's why the Ten Commandments begin the way they do. And so that's the reason why you see things like no, you know, don't, don't, uh, uh, don't use the Lord's name in vain. Remember that one? Don't use the Lord. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, it was don't say, oh, my God. Okay. There's nothing to do with what's going on. <laughs> like what's happening there in that passage is they would, they would think of this as like they're all living in clans, neighbors. They're all neighbors to each other. That's why you see the neighbor word in there. What they would do is they were eager to expand for their own survival. And so if they saw an opportunity to take someone else's land who was struggling, the temptation was so strong in them to find an excuse and a rationale why they could obtain their property and therefore enrich themselves. That was a constant in the ancient world, constant. This is how you developed your own wealth, through many children and through acquiring more land and through marriages that were strategic. Or not about, ooh, I'm attracted, I fell in love romantically. It was, it was that's, that's today. We get that today. That wasn't in the ancient world. There was some of that for sure. I mean, you see that with Jacob and, and Rachel. He falls in love with Rachel. He's definitely attracted to her. But you see Jacob marrying others. Why? Strategic. Why was Sarah attractive at 80 years old, apparently? Attractive to, um, to others. And why she has to lie or Abraham you know, lies about Sarah. Oh, she's my sister. Why does he do that? Why is there interest by the king in her? It's because she had an endowment. She had riches. And because of that, if he married her, he would then obtain all of this additional stuff and enrich himself. That's the ancient world context. And so when you misuse the Lord's name in vain, what you're doing is the idea is you're in before a judge in a sort of law court setting and you're saying, I swear by Yahweh that what I am telling you is that this neighbor has done this, this, and this, and this, and therefore should be punished, and I will take over their land. Do you understand why then Jesus would say, let your yes be yes and your no be no? Jesus, goes, Jesus takes that law code, that particular law, and develops it and expands it to say, that's the spirit of that. You missed it. If you're looking at the law as a thing to serve and to worship, you've got it wrong. It was there to help you understand how to live as a free people, to not end up enslaved again, because you're going to do it over and over again, because that's what we do. <laughs> and so this was to help you there. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why is that so important? Because you have to, if you're going to promise to somebody that you're going to do something and you don't, it affects relationship. It affects the whole. It's that important. And so Jesus expands and moves it forward. So you got other verses like, do not, do not covet your neighbor's wife. Was it because she's physically attractive or because she's, uh, you have this romance or you developed this relationship or your own relationship wasn't doing well and so you fell in love? It, it, was it that was, maybe some of that was involved, but almost always it had to do with, I get to acquire their property and enrich myself and guarantee my children a future. It wasn't just about like greed. It was about like fear, driven oftentimes by fear of, you know, and necessity. And so he's calling them out to a higher way of living. And that's what the why was so full of wisdom. Don't covet. You're going to look at that and you're going to say, I need that. I want that. I, 
I'm missing something and therefore I need this. And you're going to look at that. You're going to want it. You're going to try to pursue it. That's natural for humans. We do it in all sorts of ways today. We do it by even small things like knocking someone's down a little bit, just through a few words, just through maybe a, a, you know, it's done on social media, just to, what are we doing in that sense? We're trying to enrich ourselves in some way by putting others down, by taking from others. And the beginning part of this, of the 10 commandments is the Lord, your God is your source. Do not look to these things as source. Look at, look at God as spirit, who is all God over all things everywhere. One God who is source to all things. And if you do, then you live from a place of generosity, not from a place of scarcity, which is what's going to always cause all kinds of crime, right? It's a simple thing. If you want to fix crime in America, solve the issue of poverty. That's it. It's very simple. But there's not much of a willingness to do it. But it is simple. And the stats bear out. Where there's less, where there's been booms in, in the economy, guess what drops? Crime. Well, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because the thing is, we all know, at our worst, many of us could do some pretty darn evil things. When it comes to being in a place of survival, we will do survival morality. And there is this thing called survival morality, where it's like, if I have to survive, I will do what I can to survive. And if it's me or my kids, me and my kids versus someone else, I'm not, that's the way I'm going to see it. But when we pass that stage, then we get to a new one, and it's a different kind of morality. It's a morality that there is only one God who is source to all things. And you need to trust that rather than to cling and grab and hold on to and try to, you know, and live from that energy, from that spirit. So that's why the law code was introduced. And so when we look at, uh, let's take a, maybe a look at a couple more and then I'll, I'll jump to um, talking about how it applies to us um, a little bit more. Um, yeah, so I mean, it makes a lot of sense, like do not murder. Um, again, that was murder in the sense of I'm going to take a life out of anger, vengeance, but it was usually we're quarreling over, over, over money, over things of, of sustenance, you know, that's usually what was going on in the world. Then you shall not steal. Um, <clears throat> oh yeah. Let's do the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Um, this was a thing of, again, when you're subsistence living, you don't rest. You don't rest. You can't rest. And this was a tough one. But again, this is why it serves. And But what ends up happening is fa fascinating about religious institutions. Is at first the law is there to serve you. And then eventually you start to serve the law. It's really fascinating. Uh, and really bad. <laughs> but, it, but, but, but just to watch how that shift takes place. Um, let me use an analogy. So... Um, the only thing I've done in gardening that has been of any um, notable success has been to grow tomatoes. Um, can't grow much else. So <laughs> I do not have a green thumb and I'm not patient. So I would go out there and I'd see these tomatoes and they grow there. You know, tomatoes grow rather easily. So there's no credit to me in growing tomatoes. Essentially, I threw one year, I threw a bunch of rotten tomatoes in a certain area because I like to return things back to earth. You know, so I threw these tomatoes uh, in an area of overgrowth in the backyard. And all of a sudden, there are tomato plants popping up. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. But I remember my dad, um, he loved gardening. 
taking stakes at a certain point and loosely tying the tomato plant to the stakes. And, um, and I remember asking him back in the day, because he loved to garden, have a huge garden, and usually we were the indentured servants out there doing the work. Uh, and so he um, started teaching me, like, you know, what you need to do is at a certain point, it needs to be uh, tethered because it's going to start tipping and the tomatoes hit the ground. Of course, they rot and so forth, so keep them as erect as possible. But you don't do it too early. Um, but it's interesting how institutions function because they were at first the movement is right we need some structure some rules some commands to help us flourish that's the stake that goes next to the tomato plant but then eventually what happens is you start having professional stake makers and they get paid and so if they get paid and they're professional stake makers you gotta they gotta you know, you've got to have a lot of, you've got to be able to continue producing steaks. And then it'd be pretty soon, it becomes about making steaks and who makes better steaks and how fancy your steaks can be. And, and then it becomes about that. And instead of it being about the tomato plants themselves flourishing, it becomes about the steaks. And then the tomato plants are second in importance. And that's why Jesus flips that, where he comes in and says, listen, the Sabbath was made for man, not the reverse. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The point isn't about you serving it. It's about it's there to serve you. So in what ways can you apply law to your life today that serves you? Well, for me, it shows up in things like rhythms. I don't like rhythms. Now, some of you, you do. You like predictability. You like routines. How many here? Let me see Zoom land too. Um, all right. How many on Zoom land? like rhythms predictability stability routines all right honesty awesome love it okay mary jackie joanne david you like you like that too david perry awesome dave's on on zoom um yeah so how many here i want you to see this folks like look zoom land keep your hands up <laughs> there's a few hands going down like hell no um so, <laughs> yeah, we got it. Ah, someone's like halfway, a little bit. Like I, I need some, but then I don't want to be too bored by it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. So we have, we have a few. We have a few. Um, how many have a strong resistance, Zoomland people? We'll start you with your, you first. How many have a strong resistance to any of that? Joe, Joe's hand went up before I even asked the question. <laughs> He's like, I have such strong resistance. I can anticipate it. It's um, so, all right. Zoomland uh, is only one. I think I saw um, any of the Hasseltines really come on. All of you like predictability from stability. Really? Wow. Head nodding. I can't, that's a, that's a, a bit unusual. Dave's like, yeah, yeah. You need some, a little bit of risk, right? Um, a little bit of excitement. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Everybody else, I'm going to see if I can swing this around so you can see everybody. All right. So everyone else, who dislikes rhythm, stability, predictability, routines? <laughs> yes. Okay. This is fantastic. Boring. Yes, I'm with you. So, uh, all right. So this is the honest truth about us, right? So we have some of us love it and some of us hate it. Um, those of us who love it can actually start to use those and become the professional stake makers. 
right? Because there's something to that that feels really grounding, rooting. Um, whereas others who dislike it will be the ones that tend to be like no rules whatsoever. Let the tomato plants grow and do not stake them down. And eventually what happens is, of course, they hit the ground, they rot. So this is why none of us have an advantage over anyone else in that, in that area of law code. It, it's a matter of recognizing in what way does law serve me? Not serve my indulgences, but make me a better person in ways that I actually hate sometimes. I have them and boy, do I dislike them, but I know I need them. And I know that there's, this is where I need to do this. This is where I need to do that. Not a lot of them, but I need to have them. And, uh, and that's what the wisdom of uh, the scripture is trying to teach us here is that at some point Moses creates these 10 commandments. Now look, the 10 commandments to, that were written back then would not be written. We wouldn't write those same 10 commandments today because we don't have the same exact issues that they did back then. But what we see is the wisdom and that, that it speaks to things, habits, particular ways that we will do things as humans that still applies to today. That's why I can say, idolatry are you going to create anybody by zoom land ever create like a little carved you know image of your spouse your friend or somebody you really admire or yeah like none of us do that none of us go you know i'm gonna make a a carved image of a hundred dollar bill you know now actually that's that's not entirely untrue because i i know some people actually will enshrine their first hundred dollars or first thousand dollars or first million dollar check you know that kind of thing so we will have temptations towards those, some of those things. But for the most part, we're past that stage of actually making idols. But how many of us are past the stage of making things that are supposed to be resource into source? How many of us are past that? How many of us are totally okay holding all things in your life with open hands? There's nothing you clench. There's nothing you grab. There's nothing you hold on to. You're just open with all things. Comer, it can come and it can go. Lovingly, you hold all things. Most of us are not there. Because to believe that God is source challenges every last one of us. How many of us never overwork? How many of us never worry? How many of us never become a little withholding of our resources? How many of us never chase anything? How many of us never, I mean, you can't, there's, okay. it applies to us today. So in that sense, we apply the 10 commandments. But what we do is then we move it towards how can now I apply it to the degree that it has a little bit more of a stake in my life where I can tether my tomato plant to it so that it serves me to grow me in the ways that I need to grow, even if I don't like it. And that's the difference between self-indulgence and self-care. True self-care is I'm going to do the things that help me to grow. Self-indulgence is like, I'm eating cake and I don't care what time it is. It's 11 o'clock. I don't care. That cake is calling me. I'm having a piece. 
that's me anyways that's my my uh my area of weakness so that's where i have to say nope and last and i mean i've been i've been doing this for some time and growing quite a bit like i i can say that now i don't i don't it's been a while since i've i've broken that but has it been as consistent in terms of like i've tried to stop after a certain time like no more after this time sometimes i'll go a few minutes after sometimes i'll go a half hour an hour later but I've stopped going all the way till 10.30 at night or 11.30 at night. And I've said, no, for sleep and for proper rest, for me, I need to stop eating at a certain time. And that's good. And then I sleep better, you know? Um, and so those are some of the things, but again, they're there to serve you. And so to the degree that they serve you, that's why you employ them and you have them in your life. Does that make sense of law code? Yeah. And there are universals that eventually apply, you know, and you learn universals that apply to a lot of us. Like, hey, you know, these rules are good for all of us. We need to live by certain rhythms. Do you have times where you rest? That's sort of like a universal. If you don't have times where you rest as a human being, you're going to tax yourself out and make yourself sick. Right? So that's the reason why in some cases we as a church will say, and, you know, other churches will say, yeah, we have certain practices that we adhere to as a collective that we value, that we think are important because they're good for all of us. So that's how law code applies to our lives.